So hey guys, we're back, and uh, you're going to love this one. I, I know I say that because I, I, I get feedback, and people are like, you're right, I love this one. And um, this lady is phenomenal, and she is all over in Western history, and she's written a book that you guys all know, but we're going to talk to her about her life and how she got involved with this person and uh, and why this person. But before we do that... We have to thank the folks over the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. You can find them at tombstoneepitaph.com. Uh, if you do the three-year subscription, it's 60 bucks. If you do the one-year, it's 25 So if you do year-to-year-to-year, to year to year, you're going to pay $75. Well, you might as well just do the $60 uh, for three years and save 15 bucks. And again, Mark and Eric and all the folks over at the Epitaph are putting together a Western history on a newspaper, and it gets mailed right to your door. Mine showed up yesterday, and it, you, I can't even, I'm, I can't even fathom all the cool stuff that's in this new Epitaph. And so, if you want to get it delivered to your door, super easy. Go to TombstoneEpitaph.com. I also want to thank my friends and second family over at the Wild West History Association. I urge you to join at wildwesthistory.org. Um, they are a phenomenal group that puts out the journal, which is a book, a true book. And it really becomes a book that you're going to want to keep because it's true provenance, it's true history, it's research, there's no ads, there's no makeup ads or automobile ads or anything. It's just jam-packed. It's over a hundred plus pages. It gets delivered right to your door. It's 75 bucks a year. And it really is. I mean, four times a year, the journal shows up. It comes out to about 20 bucks a book, which is cheap for a book. And uh, this book is not cheap. It is jam-packed. And so we also have the roundup coming up in 2023. And I'm hoping that the lady that we're interviewing today is going to be there. And, and uh, where are we going to Alamo down in San Antonio? And it's going to be the best time. So look at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. Now, the lady that um, we're interviewing today uh, is Victoria Wilcox. You can find her books at Victoria, actually her information at victoriawilcoxbooks.com. That's Victoria Wilcox, 1lbooks.com. And um, she's got everything there, her day-to-day -day movement, what's going on, the new stuff, the old stuff, the history's pictures. It's a beautiful website. And um, when I interviewed Linda Womack last week, I told her that, and I'm letting you know, Victoria, this, that if you have a site counter, there's probably 20 or 30 uh, uh, visits on there, and they're all me because I just kept going back and forth and back and forth because there's so much information uh, on this website. And again, it's victoriawilcoxbooks.com, uh, and you'll get it all there. Now, her books are available at Barnes & Noble's, Booksellers, Amazon, everywhere that you buy books, wherever you go, you're going to see her books somewhere in the bookstore or on Amazon or wherever you go. You can't miss it. So make sure that you go, you pick up the books, you get it, you read it, and then you keep it and you add it to your history collection and you make it a, a reference because really it's so jam-packed with history, it becomes a reference point for your continued research, uh, especially about Doc Holliday 
and uh, there's just so much there. But again, if you want to find out more information about Victoria, go to victoriawilcoxbooks.com. Welcome. Welcome this morning. Thank you, Mike. I've been looking forward to talking with you. Um, we spoke in a pre-interview this morning, actually, that you were born in California and your family was involved. You Actually, they called you, uh, your family, a pioneer family about Hollywood. How, how did that come about? How did, well, I know how it came about, but how was your, <laughs> right? I know how that happened, but I mean, how... How was your family involved in Hollywood history? Well, I, you know, it's kind of how my family was involved in the westward movement, to be the truth. Let me start at the beginning with that. My family were Mormon pioneers who crossed the Great Plains and covered wagons, you know, in the days of the real cowboys and Indians. And um, my grandfather ended up in Southern California. He had been in Utah um, in the mining industry and ended up in Utah, in Southern California, in the early days of Hollywood. Um, he had a job with a company called Pacific Title that his cousin had done, or sorry, his brother-in-law had begun. Pacific Title did the opening and the closing credits for all of the big movies. So my grandfather lived right there in the midst of, you know, burgeoning Hollywood. And um, my, so my mother grew up in this house with Hollywood actors and things hanging around and the most interesting one of those characters was Errol Flynn. If you remember Errol Flynn, the great swashbuckler, but also uh, did westerns. And um, my mother's cousin, because now the family's out there in California, my mother's cousin became an actress. Her name was Ruth Rogers. She had been a beauty queen in Northern California, and she was a country girl. She rode horses, and a talent agent from Hollywood saw her and said, oh, you're perfect for the westerns. So they took her down to Hollywood. She lived there with her family, my my mother and grandfather's family. And Ruth became um, Hopalong Cassidy's girl in the In the Bee Westerns. And Errol Flynn took a liking to her. And um, so Ruth was a very upstanding young woman living there with her family <laughs> while doing these Westerns. And one night, um, Errol Flynn showed up at the door drunk because that was his usual state and um ruth he wanted to pick up ruth for the evening he thought he'd just drop by and see if she was available and ruth was out and so he tried to pick up my mother who was 11 years old mm. that didn't bother errol flynn but it bothered my mother and my mm. grandmother so they sent him out uh so when i say i'm from a pioneer hollywood family in in lots of ways Pioneers, real pioneers, and early Hollywood as well. And so I grew up with these stories of early Hollywood in my head. My mother didn't think a whole lot of actors because she'd been on the dark side of it with, mm -hmm. with a lot of them. But um, grew up with, with Westerns as part of my culture. And so I think I have kind of a unique look. I didn't come at Westerns from um, TV Westerns in the 1950s. I came at Westerns from way back before then, 30s and 40s in Hollywood with the big Westerns. So, was so there's that, my pioneer Western heritage. So was that your your kind of like well, I don't your start to where you said, or uh, your involvement in Western, or did was it later on? Did you you know you got married, you had kids or family, and did all this stuff, and then later on, or was it always there? 
Um, well, there was always this culture of Westerns in my family. As I said, we were Mormon pioneer family. You know, my grandmother had a replica of a covered wagon in, the, in her dining room. Um, we had been descended from people who were close personal friends of the Prophet Joseph Smith. So this was very much a deep part of my own person, my own cultural history, my own family background. And then that's all part of, too, the Western history because my ancestors helped to settle the West. So my Western interest goes, I think, far beyond um, a character or um, just just the cowboys or just this or that. This is this is a huge part of my American heritage. My my ancestors also um, sailed across on the Mayflower and settled at Plymouth, and and one of our relatives um, was an accused Salem witch, although he wasn't a witch and he got away. So I I am. My mind and my heart are deeply connected to the span of American history. And so for me, Western history is part of that whole movement, um, not just a, a, a small part of it. And so as I, got, as I got older, there were some Western movies that I saw, which brought it to life in a very nice, real way for me. I could picture it. How the West was won was one that my family had taken Love me to see movie. when I was young in the movie theater. Oh, my goodness. I loved how that told all of these different stories that all combined. Loved that film. And then probably the turning point for me in coming to a personal love of Western film was the movie True Grit, the first True Grit. Um, Charles Portis's brilliant novel, and this first one, you know, turned into the John Wayne Western. And it was the first time I'd ever seen, and I'd seen John Wayne, of course, but it was the first time I'd ever seen Glenn Campbell. And so I was a young and impressionable teenager, and I thought he was wonderful. And so I became a big Glenn Campbell fan after that and went to some of his, his concerts. And he wasn't a terrific actor in that film, but he brought a really fun um, element to that film. And, of course, you know, that film is just beautiful to behold. Hal Wallace's picture, beautiful score. Um, and I remembered so well seeing um, John Wayne, you know, riding on his horse, through these shivering aspen trees, which, of course, were not in Arkansas, where the book is actually set. They filmed it out, you know, further west. But, you know, the visual images were so wonderful. And, you know, it's no wonder that so many people fall in love with westerns when you have adventure and history and beautiful settings all tied together. You know, it's mm -hmm. westerns are, western stories are very filmable. In fact, just a little aside, a western was the very first film made in America. Um, the Great Train Robbery. Mm -hmm. There had been there had been a train robbery, not you know, in very recent history, just a couple of years before, and they kind of filmed a version of that because the original films were called movies because they moved, and you needed to film things that moved, not static pictures, not a play, and you know things moved in in the West. Horses moved, trains moved. So these became the images of the very first film industry productions because Westerns moved. So, you know, that's a pile to, I guess, dig through. But my personal history, my family history, my tie to American history, and then put all that together with the Hollywood vision of Westerns. I mean, how, who could resist? But you didn't do Westerns all the time because I read that you received a degree an English that you actually went to college and became a medieval English history major and received a degree in English literature. 
Now, yeah, how true. does how does a woman who's got who's bathed in Western history become a medieval English history major and receiving a degree in English lit? Well, I got to say, as an English literature person, I like your use of the word "bathed." There, I've never thought about myself that way, but that is what it feels like. I'm bathed in this history, this Western history, so that's good. I give you an A on your paper for that one. Thank you. Um, I, I well, of course, I love film. You know, I'm out there in the midst of film, and I love music. I'm, I'm also a singer and a songwriter and conduct choirs. And um, I saw the film Camelot, and I fell in love with that history, film, music put together, loved it, and so I became fascinated with Camelot, and it appears that my family's also linked um, through family ties to perhaps King Arthur. <laughs> so that was another family history story for me, and so I became fascinated with that period, and I read everything I could find about um, English history, delved through all of the novels about English history, and then the Durant's books on history, and you know English history, everything that was available, I read. And um, so medieval English history was my kind of my core place at that time, and so I thought I would major in that. But, you know, it's a really narrow field. And you get to college and you start to look around and, and other things become interesting to you. And I had always written. I'd, start, I'd written my first poems, I think, when I was four years old. I'd always written. I was a creative writing class member in high school. I was the... Um, head of the creative writing magazine when I was in high school. And so, you know, writing was what I did. Uh, so I changed over to English at that time. And I actually did, um, after I graduated my, de my degree in English, I also got minors in psychology and music. And I loved figuring out how people thought. And that really plays into writing about people, um, about historical characters, because you have to go into why did they think, what, why did they do what they do? So my psychology work plays into that as well. And then in graduate school, I began, gra I didn't finish graduate school, but I started graduate school as a playwriting major. Um, so I, you know, I enjoyed writing dialogue. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's an analysis. My whole life I wanted to write, I, wa I wanted to write a book and I didn't know what it was going to be. Um, and when I first was married, I thought I would write a children's book because I was looking forward to having children and started on one and I had clever characters and clever dialogue and no idea what the story was going to be about, which is not how you write. You know, you have a story to tell first. Um, so I always had this desire to write, but then I became busy having a family and, you know, set it aside for a while. So that's why Western history turned into English literature for me. Did you ever write a book outside of Western history? Like something about the medieval times that's sitting out there that's on your shelf that'll never no, get. No, I no 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 I never did. But I've got I've got a I've got a lineup of books I'm working on now with westerns, and I've had so many people say what's what's going to be your next western. Well, my interest in writing about western history is extremely focused on one character, Doc right. Holiday, and and you know hopefully here we'll talk about why, and we will. people will understand <laughs> why why my focus on Doc and how that really plays into my personal life as well. Um, but I'm I'm writing now another historical novel about the settling of the um, resort town of Destin, Florida, mm. that starts in 1835 in Connecticut and talks about how um, how a, a, a Southern dynasty was formed. I'm writing a book about Salem witches. I've got one about the lady who um, was the owner of the 
richest, the richest ranch in Texas at one time, who was descended from Scottish nobility and um, uh, Native American history. So I have a bunch of things going on. But yeah, no, I really devoted myself to being um, to being a mother of four small kids for uh, quite a while. I did journalism bits and things, wrote plays, wrote musicals, but I didn't do anything as, as you know, wow. long and difficult as a novel at that time. Maybe we can turn Doc Holliday into a musical. Wouldn't that be fun? That would be fun. <laughs> on my on my website, I have a space there where people can listen to some of the songs that were um, inspiring to me as I wrote his story. You know, some writers listen to a lot of music while they write. To me, that's distracting. I I want silence. I just want to hear my characters talk. Uh, but there are there were points where there were emotional things going on, and I, I found music that really expressed that emotion to me. And so you get to hear those things. In fact, we're working on the the audio book now for Southern Sun, the first book in my Saga of Doc Holiday trilogy. And the intro music is "The Water Is Wide" because that was the music I listened to when I wrote my Doc Holiday books, most of them. Well, if you're wondering who we're talking to, we're talking to Victoria <laughs> Wilcox. She is the author of The World of Doc Holliday. That's, uh, you can find at bookstores and everywhere, Amazon, wherever you buy your books. Uh, and you can also see more about her, what she's got going on uh, at Victoria Wilcox Books. And that's one L. The reason I say that is I've gotten so used to talking about Wilcox, Arizona, that has two. So I want to make sure people understand it's Victoria Wilcox with one L books.com victoriawilcoxbooks.com you mentioned about you sharing that. doc what's that i said i appreciate you sharing that thank you yeah it's well it's important because i want people to know to learn about you because i think some people they buy the books at least i do which is why i started this podcast about showcasing researchers historians writers which is i read the book and i see the name down it says buy and I'm like, what is it? Who's this person? Who's this? You know, what is their story? What motivated them to move forward to spend a year to two years or whatever it is of their life and push things aside to write a book? So that's why I'm always, I'm always interviewing historians and researchers. I love their story, especially like with you about Hollywood. Great stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> um, I'm going to ask you about the trilogy because okay, I, please I'm, do. I'm a little confused by it. So, are there six books or are there three? And the reason I ask, three. okay, because the reason I ask is when you go on the website, oh, oh, oh. there's Covered. the saga yeah. of Doc Holliday, but then there's a there's three books before with different covers, or is that the son of Doc Holliday? <laughs> That's a very good question. No, the saga of Doc Holliday, and that that is my trilogy of three books, and I'll tell you how it turned into three. Um, but it was originally published by one publisher, and then it was picked up by a bigger publisher. And when often when a publisher republishes the same work, they want to give it new titles and new covers for the sake of bookstore purchasers, not the not the readers. But this is for uh, you know the buyers for bookstores, so that they know very clearly which publisher's edition they're buying. So the text is exactly the same. So the first edition um, was Inheritance, Gone West, and um, um, The Last Decision were the titles of the 
the trilogy when it first came out. And then when it was picked up by a bigger publisher, reissued in the first edition was in paperback and hardcover. The second edition was just in paperback. And it has very, it's easy to see what they are. It's these very dramatic covers in bold colors with um, shadowy kind of images on the background. And each one of those books in, includes in the image, there's a moon in all of them. So they really tie together nicely. And the titles on the second printing, the second edition, are Southern Sun, Dance with the Devil, and Dead Man's Hand. And I was blessed to be able to pick the titles for the second edition. And in fact, Southern Sun was the actual title of the original book when I first wrote it before it became a trilogy. So it's kind of complicated. But I can't tell how I came to write those books, but that helps explain this. It was confusing. Uh, it was confusing. Yeah, well, because you should see my notes. Like, I'll spend a couple of weeks or, or more researching a historian or a writer. And I'm like, she's got written six books. But they're the same book. Like, I'm like, I don't, <laughs> what is she doing to me? I'm like, so are the original three books, obviously they're out of print. Um, are they collector's items? Well, some people think they are. Um, I, there's people who have, like, the very first, the first printing of the first edition of the books, you know locked away somewhere, um, books have whatever value you put on them and right. whatever, whatever value somebody else might want to give you for them. So, yeah, there's there's an assortment of people out there who, you know, think they're highly prized. Um, I prefer the second edition. I think it looks better. Um, so I was concerned about the first edition, honestly, to tell you the truth. The very first book, it shows a very elaborate southern mansion, and that's Yes. doesn't really exist in that first book. Mm -hmm. And yet, it drew a lot of audience. And that's what the publisher was after. So, you know, when I am not self-published, one of the blessings of being self-published, uh, aside from the challenges of it, one of the blessings is you get to pick exactly what your book looks like. And if you work with your own good, um, you know, if you, if you hire an artist to help you, you can maybe achieve that look. One of the downsides of working, being traditionally published, which is what I am, where a publisher pays me royalties for the privilege of publishing my book, um, but also the publisher's art department gets to design things, and you get some say in what that cover is, but not control. And, and that's, the, that's the case of my, my new book, The World of Doc Holliday, which you've referenced. Um, and that I had a whole different cover design for that. In fact, there's a there's a, a a blog post on my website that talks about what my cover design was going to be and why it ended up being what it is. And interestingly, one of the derogatory comments, you know, you get a few on, on Amazon, for instance, one of the, not a critical review, but somebody's derogatory con, um, comment there, um, whoever that poster was said, um, not even a real picture of Doc Holliday on the cover. And I just had to laugh because it absolutely is with very good provenance. Um, it's a stylized image, and it became stylized over very many years. But, you know, I tell that story on my website um, where that picture first came from, and it's a classic picture of Doc Holliday. So, you know, sometimes you get comments from people who don't know what they're talking about, and you just have to just laugh at their lack of knowledge. I'd like to share with you, if I could, how I came to write the trilogy, because that's what launched the world of Doc Holliday. And can I ask and about that? Yeah, go ahead. Is, it's it's going to be a weird question. Is it nonfiction okay. with... I'm sorry, is, is, it, is it not what? Is it nonfiction? The trilogy? The yeah. trilogy is historical fiction. 
exceedingly well-researched, 18 years of research historical fiction, and holding close to the history at every point that there was history to hold to. And the world of Doc Holliday is absolutely nonfiction. It's a pictorial biography. It is a, it's, it's a biography, you know, filled with pictures. Right. So, and they have different purposes. And I, I discovered as I was writing that there are, there are very decidedly different tastes in Western writing. Some people love stories about the West and they want to read historical fiction. And really any, any novel is historical fiction. Because it's a novel, it's, it's, it has all the elements of fiction, but it's about a period of time in history. So whether it builds itself as, well, Louis L'Amour is historical fiction. They're but fictional stories set in the West. Because mm-hmm. I had, there were people that knew I was going to be interviewing you. Yes. And they had said, would you, would I ask you that question? Because <laughs> it's so amazingly true that you, you blended a hundred percent accurate Western history and period history, and then added fictional stories to create something that's like crazy great. Like it's, you know what I mean? Like because because a lot of people will write fiction books that will be historically accurate like there's a spin it's it's accurate but i really love the characters and i've always wanted to write a romance novel and and i did that and it was fun and you know but you know doc uh you know i'll use you for example doc was in georgia but you know these people out here that are cruising around doing stuff they weren't real but i'm using this but you in turn created a a saga that is 100 percent technically and historically accurate but in a fiction form. And people wanted to know, people wanted to know, I know it's a long question. People wanted to know like why you did that. And then the next book became a hundred percent nonfiction. Right. Okay. Well, let me tell you the Genesis and then you'll know why I wrote it the way I did. And it is, it is a writing. Like for instance, the Destin book that I'm writing now, I bedevil myself with finding out every historical point. I even want to know exactly who lived on the streets around the people where the people lived in, you know, New York in 1840. Um, because what I try to do is look into the real the real life of people. Um, you know, in our families, we tell family history stories. We tell stories about grandma or grandpa, and their lives have stories. All of our lives have stories. I feel like all of our lives have a theme and a purpose, and a narrative, you know? Um, there's something special that we're all doing with our lives. And um, that's a story, the story of your life, but the story of your life is is the reality of your life. Now, we don't know all the reality with historical characters because we only know the things we can call from the history. We don't know what they said to each other. We don't know what they thought. We don't know how they reacted emotionally. We just don't have that. Even if someone left a diary or a journal, a detailed journal, they wrote what they wanted of somebody else to read. So we are always, when we read history, we are always imagining it up because human beings are storytelling creatures. When we read a solid history book, we picture the settings that the, that the historian is describing. We get a sense for who these people were, but we are helping create all of that in our own minds. It's the way that we 
Um, it's the way that we relate to and understand the world around us. We're storytelling people. And so my story of Doc Holliday began actually with Gone with the Wind, which I think what sets it apart from every other thing that will ever be written about Doc Holliday. In my love of books and love of history, I had read Gone with the Wind several times as a child or as a youth. I'm very frustrated with Margaret Mitchell for the way the book ended with Ashley leaving. I actually, I actually um, outlined a, a sequel to that book, which would have been great <laughs> written it. Um, but my, my husband, we were living in the West, and he was accepted to dental school. He's a dentist, like Doc Holliday. And that gives me also really interesting understanding of Doc's life. Um, he went to dental school in Atlanta. And so we moved to Atlanta for dental school, and I was looking everywhere for Gone with the Wind. You know, there's elements of that, the architecture and some bits and pieces of the reconstruction history. And I became sort of obsessed with Atlanta history, and I studied it a lot while we were living in Atlanta. So I had a very good understanding of that city, read a lot of books about Atlanta as it was, Atlanta where things used to be. So in my mind, as I was driving through Atlanta, I would see overlaid what I was actually looking at, sort of this mental um, um, plastic laying down on top of it, showing me what had been. So I, I was very deep into Gone with the Wind. I wrote, read several books about Margaret Mitchell, um, who, who wrote that book. And one of those books had a, a fascinating little passage in there about how she had got to the point where she was writing. She was like... <clears throat> I don't know, eight, seven-tenths of the way done with the book, and she got writer's block. She just couldn't go on anymore, and she set it aside. She was not going to finish this thing. And um, and she never meant to publish it, you know. She just was going to set aside her little book. And she went to a funeral in the town of Fayetteville, Georgia, which was south of Atlanta somewhere. And at that funeral, um, she met up with some old members of the family, and Something must have happened at that funeral because after she went home, she sat right down and she finished writing Gone with the Wind. And I was always, I, I caught on to that, and it was fascinating to me when I was living in Atlanta. Well, then my husband graduates dental school, and he gets a, a, a an associateship at a practice in Fayette County, Georgia, where Fayetteville is. And I went, oh, wow, that's that little cemetery where Margaret Mitchell went to. And I went to visit the cemetery, and I saw the names of the different um, family members who were buried there. And I knew that it was um, that she attended the funeral of her um, grandmother's cousin, Sarah Fitzgerald, who was buried there in Fayetteville, this older woman. And uh, so somehow, you know, somehow that linked up and made Margaret Mitchell write Gone with the Wind. So at about that same time that we'd moved there to Fayette County and I'd seen the, the cemetery there, I was driving with my then little girls past this um, uh, I drove past this old house in Fayetteville, white-columned old um, Greek Revival-style, classic Southern-looking mansion, standing right close to the town square there. Um, and it was a, it was being used as businesses, but it was obviously an old house. And I took one look at that house, and I knew I had something to do with it. I just felt absolutely connected to that house. Never have felt that way about a house, a place, hardly about a person. I was connected to that house. And um, I, for... Ten years, I would drive by with my little girls, and I'd tell them, someday Mama's going to do something with that. And I had no idea what it was going to be. And finally, um, finally, after a period of time, I called the local historical society. I said, can you tell me about this house? something. Um, and they told me that the house was uh, built before the Civil War. Um, 
troops had marched right by it, had been used as a boarding house for a local school at one time, and that it was owned by a man named John Stiles Holiday, the original owner, John Stiles Holiday, a medical doctor who was the uncle of Doc Holiday. And so there's me with my Western heritage, and I said, Doc Holiday, like the guy from the OK Corral? And they said, yes. And, and when he was a child, family said when he was a child, he used to play at this house because he was raised in Griffin, Georgia, three miles away. And I was just thunderstruck. You know, Doc Holiday from the West is here in Fayette County, Georgia. Oh, and by the way, this house is related to Gone with the Wind because this house is mentioned in the first chapter of Gone with the Wind. When it was a boarding school, Scarlett O'Hara supposedly stayed at this school. And her family was related to Doc Holliday. And the real people behind Gone with the Wind were Doc Holliday's relatives. Well, was, I was stunned. And here you had, in this one place, you had the connection between the greatest literature of the Old South, when that book finally went to press, and one of the greatest characters of the Wild West, coming together in this one place. Oh, and by the way, and it was just this constant learning curve there. And Margaret Mitchell's, grandmother's cousin, another cousin, there was the old lady who was buried in the cemetery, but another cousin was a girl named Maddie Holliday. And she also grew up in this area, and she was Doc Holliday's cousin, mm -hmm. and the family said they were sweethearts when they were young. And right. if you've seen the movie Tombstone, and I'm sorry, if you have, raise hands, everybody out there, not if you have, but how many times, let's be honest, Tombstone's a fabulous piece of historical fiction. Nobody was following White and Doc around with a camera, photographing no. and recording them. A writer, Kevin Jarre, had to write a story deeply embedded with the history. If you like the movie Tombstone, you like historical fiction, if it's done well. So anyway, at the end of that movie, you know, Wyatt is talking to Doc there in, in Glenwood Springs, and Wyatt wasn't in Glenwood Springs, but that's part of the story of Tombstone, yeah, gotcha. the movie. Um, Wyatt asked Doc about, you know, have you ever been in love? And he said, yes, once, with my cousin. She was all I ever wanted. Um, she entered a convent over the affair. Well, she did not enter a convent over an affair. She was 30-something when she joined a convent. Um, lots of Catholic Southern girls wanted to join convents, and that was an honor to the family that she did. But, yes, there was a cousin, according to the family, that he had romantic feelings for, and that's his cousin Maddie. And Maddie because she was also cousin to, Gone, to Margaret Mitchell, who wrote Gone with the Wind, Maddie became the model for the character of Melanie in Gone with the Wind. Yeah. So now you have Melanie from Gone with the Wind in love with Doc Holliday from Tombstone. Like the Old West meeting up with the Old South, the Wild West meeting up with the Old South, you know, old south and, and falling in love. That was a story that had to be told. Now, along the way... I find out that that house is going to be maybe demolished to make way for a parking lot. And so I started a community action group. We saved the Holiday House. It was uh, it, Now it's on the National Register of Historic Places. I directed it as um, museum director for six years. And while I was directing it, I was gathering family information for the sake of the museum. Didn't start out right away to write a book. I was just delving into all that tons of family history. For, so that it could be expressed there in the museum. And I would be interviewed by people, or local newspaper interviewers or 
PBS TV, you know, Turner Broadcasting came down to do an interview with me about this house and its history and its connections to these interesting characters. And every time I would do an interview, they would get the story wrong because it was just reporters trying to scribble down as fast as they could this very complicated history. And I got tired of being misquoted. And then there are, you know, there are living relatives of Doc Holliday's in, in Georgia, Holiday family members or descendants and Mackie um, descendants. And I get phone calls from angry Holiday family members saying, that isn't right. And I'd say, well, I didn't say that. That's The reporter got it wrong. Sorry. And so I made up like an eight-page handout to hand to reporters. Here's all the facts. Here's the details. Oh, and here's a family tree to go with it. And it ended up being a 21-page handout. And then it was just ridiculous. I was, in essence, writing their reviews, their, their stories for them. And I finally said, I just need to write this story down. Am I not a writer? <laughs> Did I not graduate with a degree, you know, in English? And I've done all this writing. I've always wanted to write a book. What kind of book should it be? And I remember the night I sat at the kitchen table with my husband. I said, I have so much history about Doc Holliday that no one has ever seen. All of this family history that really tells you a whole different story about who he was. In fact, his cousin Maddie, who became his correspondent his whole life, said he was a much different man than the one of Western legend. So I had all of these great stories that needed to be told. I was a writer. I could do it. But how should I do it? Should I write a solid biography, which I could have done? And I didn't know at the time, I hadn't yet met Gary Roberts. We were actually introduced to each other by the family. Um, but I didn't know that, well, in fact, Gary wasn't writing his book at the time. So there wasn't a biography of Doc Holliday coming off the presses. So I could have written a biography, and I thought, but you know what it needs to be? Because of his connection to Gone with the Wind, I need to write that story. And so mm -hmm. that would have to be a historical novel, like Gone with the Wind is a historical novel, so that people who love Gone with the Wind can read this other version of the same story that's Doc Holliday's story. I wanted a book that could the shelf next to Gone with the Wind. I knew, because I knew what the story was, it was going to be huge. It was all a doc from his earliest years in Georgia all the way to the end of his days in Colorado. The, the Tombstone of the OK Corral would be a major part of that story, but just part of the story, because his whole life was epic. It was an American, his life was an American saga that covered um, Civil War and Reconstruction and the, the Westward Movement, and, you know, he ends up there in Tombstone and the few years that he does those things, but his story was just epic. And I knew it was going to, I knew this book would be a lot like Gone with the Wind meets Lonesome Dove. Well, and so that would be huge. And so I, I set out to write a mammoth novel. So we, we honestly only have like 15 minutes left. Okay. Well, <laughs> let me, let me wrap up real quick with that for okay. you then. When I finished the book, it ended up being too big to be one book. No publisher right. would take a book that big unless you were Stephen King, because it was just going to be huge. Right. And I was told I had to cut it into three. So that is why there's a trilogy. The book is the saga of Doc Holliday and it splits into three, the three sections of his life. And when it was done, I was on um, a book tour in Colorado, gone up to speak in Silverton, where he had gambled at one time. And on the way there, we took the Durango and Silverton Railroad up there, and I thought, oh, yeah, Doc was on this train. You know, nobody's ever written about his travels. I thought I would write a short little travel book for museums, like to be in railroad gift shops, about Doc's travels on the railroads of 19th century America. And book blew up into something bigger and became the world of Doc Holliday, history and historic images. And it was fun because I could give the pictures and the, as you read that book, if you've 
August, then you read this, you go, oh, what? that's where that story came from. That's where that part of the novel came from, came from this real piece of history over here. And, of course, had to fill it with images, and um, it, was, it was a fun, a new way to tell his story. So the narrative in that book is all straight history, narrative nonfiction, with lots of sidebars about the people and places he knew. So there you go. That's my life with Doc Holliday. Well, we're not done. We're, <laughs> we're going to squeeze one. And will you come back and do this again? Oh, gosh, I'd love to. Okay. Sure. So we're talking to Victoria Wilcox. Uh, she has written uh, The Saga of Doc Holliday, the trilogy, along with her new book, The World of Doc Holliday, available at bookstores everywhere and Amazon and online. Uh, and you can find out more about her by going to victoriawilcoxbooks.com. I urge you to do that because there's so much information. There's a, even another cover of the Doc Holiday book. I'm not going to ask her now, but I'd like to ask her later. That shows the Prescott photo, Prescott photo, uh-huh. along with a train that is a beautiful cover. I, it's just fantastic. Um, Thank you. I, I want to ask you, because I'd like to talk to you about that cover. Um, okay. Real quickly, you know, in 15 minutes. I've never met Gary Roberts. Um, we've, I've interviewed him. He rarely does interviews, but he said yes to me. Um, and we speak on the phone and, um, he is a Southern gentleman and a sweetheart of a man. And I am not, and I say that in the most respectful way, because every time I call him, you know, he's got this deep, I can't even do it now because it's too early, but I've been working on my Gary Roberts impersonation, <laughs> but, but he, I will call and he will see the number and he's like, Oh, hi, Mike. How are you? And I'm like, Oh, great. Thank I'm blown away that he even recognizes me. And when we speak and I say, Hey, Hey bud, I, I, I saw you're up in La Junta last week. Oh yeah, I was on a speaking engagement and, and I did this and I did that. And then it's an hour. Talk about real quickly your relationship with Gary because Gary, it, it's been noted is that you're probably now the number one authority on Doc Holliday and his life and history. And you've uncovered more research and or more information, and you're probably still uncovering more. Talk about your relationship with Gary. Okay, Gary Roberts, Gary Leland Roberts, Tiston, Georgia. Um, when I was working on my books, my first, my saga, and working with the Holiday House, I I had the privilege of getting to know Susan Mackey Thomas, who was Doc Holiday's cousin, who lives in Valdosta, Georgia, and she's passed now. But the most lovely, wonderful, southern lady. We became dear friends. And she had written, really, the first most important book about Doc Holliday called In Search of the Holidays. It was just a little paperback book. She published it herself, and it was family history, you know, basis for my family history stories that are in the saga. And she told me that she had gotten in touch with a history professor at a Georgia college to help her come out with a new edition of that book because she'd found more information, more pictures. And she really wanted it done in a, in a really professional way. And this was Dr. Gary Roberts. And so he had, he had a long history of writing about the West and a deep interest in Wyatt Earp. And she contacted him and asked him to help her. And then she introduced me to him. So Gary and I became, we knew each other through Susan Mackey Thomas. We were both good friends of hers. And, 
we, he um, started, his book began to be just a revision of her book. And like my book, it just blew up into this much bigger thing as he continued to research docs. So he and I were researching at the same time. We both live in Georgia. We were on the phone all the time comparing notes about things we'd turned up and we'd say, what do you think this means? Well, where does this go? And so we both knew that we were writing two different animals based on the same story. And he would often say that he envied me the right to be able to um, imagine what happened between two historical points when we didn't know what was in the middle because that's what you can do with historical fiction, whereas he was constrained to not imagine those things. He just had to say, it's this and this and this, and I don't know what happened in between. But our books informed each other. In fact, there's a, there's a passage in... He based a lot of his Georgia time for Doc Holliday on my research, actually. And there's even a passage there that he just kind of paraphrased me. And if you had read my books, you'd read his book and go, oh, that's Victoria's language right there. She said that. So um, never any jealousy at all between the two of us because we were just both very invested in the same fascinating history and approaching it from different directions. And it, this was so fun. Last week, the Wild West History Association um, filmed, I think it's going to be called An Evening with um, Doc Holliday. It's a seven-hour-long interview, and I'm the one who's interviewing Gary. Oh. And we just talked Doc Holliday. For, I, I, he'd never talked so much on Doc at one time in his life. It was marathon. And I think it's going to be released as a series on their YouTube channel. So if you want to hear, and it's not everything he knows. We didn't even get to everything. But if you want to hear Gary Roberts tell so much about the life and history of Doc Holliday, that's going to be the place for it. And he is just the most wonderful, generous, kind-hearted man. And true historians, I have found, are not jealous of each other's work because it's the history they love. False historians think they own the history they found. We don't own it. It's not our history. It's Doc's history. And we both research it, and we get to talk about it, and we get to share it. And there should never be jealousy with people releasing books on the same topic. I mean, how many books about George Washington have been written? Right. You know, endless. Every writer has their own unique approach and insights. So I've been very, very honored in my life to be able to be deep friends with the Mackey family and um, and with Dr. Gary Roberts. So I have we have five minutes. Okay. I asked Dr. Roberts, um, Gary, for those who know, he doesn't like to be called Dr. Gary. Um, I, I had asked Gary, I said, Gary, if you could go into a time machine and go back in Doc's life or a period of time, where would you where would you go? And he said he'd like to go back to his younger days to find out about things in his life, um, you know, things that he had done. Did he was he really there um, when the discussion about shooting the little boys in the lake or one of them in the pond? He'd like to go Which back is, and find the out West things. River. What's uh -huh. that? The West Lacoochee River. There you go. Uh -huh. And and he says, oh, absolutely, I'd absolutely like to go back to that time. And he, and he gave a whole bunch of stuff. I'm going to ask you the same question in about, we have about okay. four minutes. If you um, could go into a time machine and go back into Doc's life, where would you go? Oh, into Doc's life? I thought you were going to ask me where, where would I like to be. No. I want to find out about, I, I want to find out who the woman was he did his property to in Las Vegas, New Mexico. 
he owned a saloon. He purchased an eight-foot piece of property next to it, and he, um, the judge called him in for a second um, um, kind of witness to this thing, and he, he informed Doc that he did not need to include said wife on this deed. And her initials were, I think, A-B something or other. Um, but in no way, upside down, can we make that be Mary Catherine Hirone or Kate Elder or any of Kate's names. Who was the woman that was said wife on Doc Holliday's property deed in 1878 in Las Vegas, New Mexico? I think it would answer lots of questions about it. Because I go to Las Vegas often. Mm-hmm. I was just there last month. And I stand in the on that street and I stare at the, the two buildings because there's mm-hmm. there's the real tall building, there's the two-story one that's, oddly enough, has got a cannabis store in it. Um, and then I think that was a bank. And then next to it are the two buildings. And I can never figure out, is it the left, the building on the left? I think it's the building on the right of the two that are up against the tall building. Am I Am I correct in that? Well, if you're talking about Railroad Avenue down yes. there by where the train is, yes. yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But that was only half a doc's life. He right. also had a dental practice on the plaza in Old Town, New Mexico, and his dental equipment still exists. And it's uh, a collector friend of mine owns it. Wow. Well, if you're wondering who we're talking to and speaking to, and I, I could sit here for hours, but she has <laughs> a life and, and I got to go to work. Um, we're talking to Victoria Wilcox. You can find all of her books on Amazon, everywhere, all booksellers all over the country, anywhere, anywhere you live, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can also find her updates at victoriawilcoxbooks.com. Uh, that's her life, and, and she's got so much stuff coming out. I've even got more questions that I didn't even answer, like I was going to ask her about uh, um, Val Kilmer. She got to meet Val Kilmer in 2017. I wanted to ask her about that. Maybe we'll do that for the next interview. Of course, I want to thank my friends at the WWHA. You're a member of the WWHA, I believe, correct? Absolutely, Absolutely. yeah. I've spoken there several times. Uh-huh. Well, that's good, because if you would have said no, I would erase this interview, and I'd be like, <laughs> bye-bye, bye. And, um, but if you want to find more about the WWHA, go to their website at wildwesthistory.org. And if you're into social media, they're everywhere. My friend David Geiken, he's running the Instagram page. If you're an Instagrammer, go find the WWHA on Instagram. They've got color photos and information. They're also on Facebook. Gosh, go on their Facebook page, hit that join button, and see all the things that's going on. We're putting content there constantly. Um, Also, the YouTube channel, they're on YouTube. Uh, So you have Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, the website. Like, you're going to be like me. You're, you're, there's just too much to see. There's too much to see and too much to learn, but gosh darn it, let's get out there and, and learn and see what's going on and see what's going on with Victoria because she's got new content coming out all the time. I can't thank her enough. Um, if you want to find my podcast and what's going on with me, you can do so on my Facebook page, which is Cochise County underscore travels. Uh, I'm all over the American Southwest. I just spent a month or two up in Colorado. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Cochise County underscore travels, as well as the podcast uh, channels, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I'm everywhere on Cochise County underscore travels. 
and YouTube. This podcast will be on YouTube. So if you have a family member that doesn't really understand how to link up their phone, they're on iTunes, I don't get it. Uh, you know, you're an older person because I get that the most where we don't understand how to link up and get into iTunes. Well, go over to my YouTube channel at uh, Cochise County underscore travels and you'll find the podcast there and you just tap on it and go. Make sure you leave a rating and review because it does help me with distribution and hit that subscribe button. I appreciate it a bunch. Uh, anything that you want to add? Any Because I know you got some new books coming out, a couple of minutes. Um, did we cover as much as you want, or is there something in your mind that, Mike, we, we didn't cover this? There is always more to know about Doc Holliday, and there are so many stories yet to tell. So, you know, when you've got time, I'd love to come back and explore some more of those. But this has just been so much fun. Mike, you do such a great service to history by exploring behind the scenes of everything that's being written and done. And so we, we thank you. Well, and I thank you guys because people will ask me, do you get paid to do this? I don't. Um, we don't make a dime off of this. We have now over 50 hours of podcasts. And I do this because I love hearing the backstory and learning about the researcher and the writer. And I think people do too. Besides t- learning about the story and the history, it gives... It's like a total package, right? You you understand the process and the person and what goes through it to, to put a book. Because books to a researcher, if you're out there thinking, oh, this is so easy. I read it and I read it in two weeks. That was easy. Like that's two plus years or a year and a half, two years or, or longer. Like or, James. Or in Mint. my case with the saga, 18 years of research. Right. And 18 years. 18 like, and people devour it in a week. That's frustrating. And, and that's. That's why I really want these podcasts out there so that you understand what a researcher and a writer goes through to put a book out. And sometimes that book, the publisher will look at it and be like, mm, we need to trim it down a little bit or the format isn't right. But I don't really like the cover. And I, you know, you know the forward that you got so-and-so to do, yeah, we need to shrink that down. And, and it becomes very frustrating to the researcher and the historian who wants, this is her life. So... I can't thank you guys enough for doing what you do because I'm never going to write a book. But all of you that are out there doing it, we appreciate you a bunch. Again, I can't thank the WWHA enough. And, of course, the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Go out and have a great day, uh, safe travels, and we'll see you soon.